Blog Talk Radio. <clears throat> It's Pub from New York City. I'm Stephen Love with Trumba, our mascot, Trumba the dog. She's relaxing today. Memorial Day weekend. Program notes. Um, coming up on our next Pundit's Pub, our special guest will be Professor John R. Hibbing one of the authors of the book Predisposed, Liberals, Conservatives, and the Biology of Political Differences. Coming uh, next on the next Pundit's Pub. I can't wait for that one. I, uh, I have yet to understand the sort of um, mentality or intellect that just can't acknowledge the existence of fact. Uh, About a week ago, I was speaking to someone who was self-proclaimed as being right-wing. And I asked him at one point why he continues to vote for people who do not have his best interests uh, on their agenda. And he asked me what I meant by that. And I, one of the examples I gave was that they're rolling back uh, environmental regulations as we face climate change. And of course he was a skeptic somehow climate change. Well, maybe it's happening, but is it, is it um, caused by human activity? And uh, he was not impressed that, what what is it, 99% of scientists uh, believe it is caused by human activity. But no, no, his answer was no, no, that can't be true. So I'm looking forward to chatting with the professor about how we uh, can even operate uh, in any meaningful way in an environment where there's really no such thing as fact, there's no such thing as truth. And of course, this is the uh, genius of Donald Trump's demagoguery, Um, his ability to obliterate truth. You just plant the doubt in someone's mind that, well, this is fake news. This is not true. How can this be? And uh, then in the realm of magical thinking, which is a realm that suits the interests of the 1% uh, very uh, admirably, I would say, as we continue to lurch through crisis after crisis brought on by neoliberalism. So today on Punnett's Pub, I want to talk about neoliberalism, uh, which we're going to be doing until it hurts on Punnett's Pub. What is neoliberalism? Neoliberalism is corporatism. Neoliberalism is 
an ideology. It is a replacement for religion because its adherents are, are, are quite um, uh, confident that they have a corner on truth. And uh, despite um, facts to the, uh, to the contrary, um, this market fundamentalism, the, the belief in the invisible hand, the genius invisible hand of the marketplace, bring us all to the most felicitous of conclusions so long as we allow the invisible hand to work its magic. Well, there we go. It's magic. So the market, uh, when we talk about neoliberalism, the market becomes God. The market becomes God. Isn't this what has happened? We've already discussed uh, in prior Pundits Pubs the origin of neoliberalism in the 1930s, its reaction against uh, Keynesianism and New Deal economics. And certainly when I look back on my life, I was a child of the 60s, a teenager of the 70s, a young adult of the 80s as the Reagan counter-revolution, a, a, a an extreme reaction against New Deal economics on the one hand and and expanding democracy on the other and how the 1% had become so concerned, uh, especially during the upheaval in the 1960s. Certainly the civil rights movement Across America, um, a liberal Supreme Court, um, advances in uh, consumer protections, um, anti-war protesting uh, was certainly uh, disturbing to um, a certain strata in our society, meaning the, the haves who didn't want their haves to be turned into have not overnight by these swarming hordes of ultra liberals and, and leftists and communists and, and socialists uh, going to be taking over. I mean, I saw that I was a kid. I didn't understand everything that was going on. But there I was, a kid during the, the decade le- leading up to the, the moonshot, landing on the moon. This was when America, free enterprise America, actually energized a collective effort to create the technology uh, necessary to put humans on another heavenly body put humans on the moon. Was that not a collective effort? Yet the neoliberals, people like the Koch brothers, Charles Koch, who sneeringly 
derides what he calls collectivism as he praises the love of liberty as being the, the core American value. Uh, yes, the love of his liberty uh, to enslave other people. That's the, the kind of liberty uh, he's looking at. And boy, were they upset about the 1960s and everything that was going on, so much so that the U.S. Chamber of Commerce decided in 1971 they wanted to have this little meeting, and they asked uh, a eminent corporate lawyer, Louis F. Powell Jr., who would later become um, a Supreme Court justice, nominated by Richard Nixon. Louis Powell wrote a memorandum, a confidential memorandum, dated August 23rd, 1971. We've been going through the upheavals of the 1960s. Civil rights, too much, too much is going on, too much, too many civil rights are coming down the pike. And all of a sudden now, the American free enterprise system is under attack, and that's the actual title of Lewis Powell's confidential memorandum to Mr. Eugene Sidenor, Jr., chairman of the Education Committee of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. A wonderful, wonderful organization. Find U.S. Chambers of Commerce all over the country. And this memorandum was a, a, a call to action. And Powell first outlines the dimensions of the attack on the free enterprise system. Says that no thoughtful person can question that the American economic system is under broad attack. What is the American economic system? It's the free enterprise system. It's capitalism. Or what we call the profit system. More on that later. The profit system. Profit versus people. So Powell, in 1971, in August, he's decrying this attack that was gaining momentum and and uh, converts. And the sources of the attack, he outlines, were, were various. They included, <laughs> not unexpectedly, the communists, new leftists, and other revolutionaries who would destroy the entire system, both political and economic. Extremists of the left. And he identified the most disquieting voices joining the chorus of criticism come from perfectly respectable, respectable elements of society, from the college campus, the pulpit, the media, the intellectual and literary journals, the arts and sciences, and from politicians. 
And there, my friends, we have the targets for what, in retrospect, when we look at history, recent history, past going back to 1971, the targets of the slow-motion corporate coup d'etat were named by Lewis Powell in this memo. The college campus, the pulpit, the media, the intellectual and literary journals, the arts and the sciences, and politicians. And his his uh, philosophical rationale is is based upon the fact that um, on campuses, for example, uh, you know, co- colleges, universities are supported by tax funds generated largely largely from American business and contributions from capital funds controlled or generated by American business. And he bemoaned how most of the boards of trustees of institutions of higher learning were composed of men and women who are leaders in the system. But all around them, the lefties, the ultra-liberals infecting the faculties of colleges and universities across America are trying to deconstruct the system. We have to stop this. And the media including the national TV systems, are owned and theoretically controlled by corporations which depend upon profits in the enterprise system to survive. So why should the corporations who own these uh, media outlets, particularly the network news shows, I mean, if we're paying for it, why why should we let them... uh, I don't know, attack the military-industrial complex as it manifests itself in Vietnam. Why should we allow this? Then Powell goes on to uh, identify some perpetrators like the ultra-liberal lawyer William Kunstler, the late William Kunstler, who would say things like, quote, you must learn to fight in the streets to revolt, to shoot guns. We will learn to do all of the things that property owners fear. <laughs> oh, I guess that's kind of alarming. And what he calls the new leftists, right? The new leftists. We put people like Noam Chomsky in that in that category at the time. And decrying how on Yale, the campus of Yale, uh, bemoaning the fact that young men graduating from Yale uh, despise the American political and economic system and uh, favor... socialization of basic U.S. industries. We can't let that happen. And singled out especially for uh, uh, vilification in the memo is, uh, quote, perhaps the most effective antagonist of American business is Ralph Nader, 
who, thanks largely to the media, has become a legend in his own time and an idol of millions of Americans. A recent article in Fortune speaks of Nader as follows, quote, The passion that rules in him, and he is a passionate man, is aimed at smashing utterly the target of his hatred, which is corporate power. He thinks and says quite bluntly that a great many corporate executives belong in prison for defrauding the consumer with shoddy merchandise, poisoning the food supply with chemical additives, and willfully manufacturing unsafe products that will maim or kill the buyer. He emphasizes that he is not talking just about fly-by-night hucksters, but the top management of blue-chip business. Well, you're damn right (laughs) Ralph Nader was doing that. Ralph Nader, by the way, who has probably done more for the American people, the vast majority of presidents of the United States. Would we not all agree today that having seatbelts, wearing our seatbelts when we drive is a good idea? Is, is there anyone who thinks it's not a good idea? Well, thank Ralph Nader for that. And I think by now, most of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, uh, probably do think that a great many corporate executives belong in prison for defrauding the consumer. I think a lot of banksters defrauding the consumer with shoddy merchandise. And of course, ironically, this um, memo to the Chamber of Commerce in 1971 sets up the lines of attack, one of them in the judiciary, and of course, packing the court with conservatives who will find for big business against the people. Uh, The Chamber of Commerce, which continuously attacks civil litigation and bemoans, oh, the the lawyers, lawyers groups, they just want to get their their fees. And, And so the Chamber of Commerce bemoans all this litigation that, that, what is all this litigation, this civil litigation against the poor corporations? When, uh, by the way, the Chamber of Commerce is actually one of the <laughs> most active litigators uh, across the United States, issuing many uh, friend of the court briefs in the Supreme Court, probably as, as many or if not more than the American Civil Liberties Civil Liberties Union, which, thank God, we have that uh, as a watchdog against those who would abrogate the Bill of Rights. This is all very interesting. 1971, we're we're starting a manifesto. We're starting a a, uh, concerted effort to start influencing the college campus, the pulpit, the media, the intellectual and literary journals. Let's make some think tanks, the arts and sciences, and politicians. Well, that means we have to change the laws about campaign finance. And, of course, the court system 
all the way up to the Supreme Court, Chamber of Commerce is going to be a friend of the notion that corporations are people and that money is speech. Money is free speech. And we're also going to decry this whole notion of class war. What are you talking about class war? There are no classes in America. Oh, and of course, the chamber and Lewis Powell didn't like, quote, he's dismayed. It is dismaying that many politicians make the same argument that tax measures benefit only business without benefit to, quote, the poor. Well, the fact uh, that this is either political demagoguery or economic illiteracy is of slight comfort. This setting of the rich against the poor, of business against the people, is the cheapest and most dangerous kind of politics. Yet if we look at the past four decades, what we witness, what we see, the fact is that there has been a concerted class war of the rich against the poor, dismantling uh, the welfare state, so to speak, going on a tax boycott. We don't want to pay taxes. The year I was born, the top tax rate was 90% individual tax rate. And uh, if we looked at all of federal tax revenue in a given year, we would see that 35% of total federal tax revenue came from corporations. Today, that number, the amount of the pie, the piece of the pie of federal revenue, federal tax revenue, contributed by American corporations is now 9%. So we go from roughly 35% to 9%. That, my friends, is a tax boycott. And the way uh, they engineered it following this manifesto was, well, we have to um, stop being apathetic and we have to go after the politicians. No more appeasement of the problem. Business has to start fighting back, says Lewis Powell in his memo entitled Attack on American Free Enterprise System, dated August 23, 1971. And indeed, the Chamber of Commerce must preach to business executives that The first essential is for businessmen to confront this problem as a primary responsibility of corporate management. Our very survival, the very survival of the free enterprise system means that we have to start spending money influencing politicians, professors, creating think tanks, The day is long past when the chief executive officer of a major corporation 
discharges his responsibility by maintaining a satisfactory growth of profits with due regard to the corporation's public and social responsibilities. It's now time for us to have entire departments of our corporations concerned with protecting and preserving the system itself. So we have to have public relations departments, governmental affairs, etc. But it's interesting to me that this quote I just read, what are the responsibilities of the corporate chief executive officer? Okay, maintain a satisfactory growth of profits with due regard to the corporation's public and social responsibilities. Hmm. I actually remember when it was called stakeholder uh, economics. Because let's say you've got a big plant. Ford has a plant in a town in Michigan. Does not Ford as a corporation have a responsibility to the community, to the workers? Yes, the profit system allows the shareholders who, of course, buy and sell stocks willy-nilly to, if you own, if you own a piece of Ford, you want to make a profit. I don't think anybody's against that. But ask yourself this question. In 1971, if Lewis Powell, who, by the way, became somewhat moderate in certain cases as a Supreme Court justice, he voted with the majority, seven to two, in Roe v. Wade. And he talks about the responsibility of a corporation to consider public and social responsibilities. Well, where is that? idea now what happened to that idea short term profit that's it so we now live in a in a system created by neoliberalism where shareholders are the only uh, concern profit is the only concern But in 1971, maybe they thought um, you had some responsibility to the, the community. But Powell's worried about the whole system collapsing, so he wants the Chamber of Commerce to raise money from corporations and start influencing the media, government, government staffers, consultants, the rise of lobbying, becoming much more active in elective politics coming up with uh, coming up with bright young men to be evangelists for the American free enterprise system as lecturers and writers in, in infiltrating the faculties at various levels of education including secondary education creating think tanks where the scholars uh, that are part of the think tanks, of course, their very livelihood depends upon them defending the free enterprise system and capitalism, sending speakers out, evaluating textbooks. The staff of scholars should evaluate textbooks so that we can uh, restore the balance essential to genuine academic freedom. 
This would include assurance of fair and factual treatment of our system of government and our enterprise system, its accomplishments, its basic relationship to individual rights and freedoms, and comparisons with the systems of socialism, fascism, and communism. So we got to look at those textbooks. So this is in 1971. They want to start paying attention to the textbooks. And of course, today in 2017, all you have to do is go to a Texas school board meeting and textbook committee. And we want to uh, take science out and put creationism in there. And and, uh, and let's fund a, uh, a uh, sort of like a... a, a I don't know. Kind of like going a great adventure or or Disney World. Let's make it make Noah's Ark. Let's make a huge Noah's Ark and talk about how yeah yeah the dinosaurs were existed when humans existed, despite evidence to the contrary. But in 1971, they were just worried about getting equal time in uh, institutions of higher learning. They want to especially infiltrate graduate schools of business. All you have to do is look at the MBAs coming out of Harvard, and uh, they're all for austerity. Oh, yeah, it's free enterprise. Actually not. It is uh, enterprise. It's monopolization. Uh, Free enterprise used to tell us that if we made an investment and it went sour, then that's our fault, and too bad, uh, big deal. But neoliberalism has created a system where we see rugged individualism for the poor and state socialism for the wealthy and corporations. Oh, no, we're not going to – wait, we, we lent money to Puerto Rico, so we have to get every cent of it back. Although uh, uh, we bought the debt from somebody else and um, for pennies on the dollar, but we have to get 100% of it back because that way we're going to make a killing. Back in 1971, Lewis Powell wants to take over television. The national, he says the National Television Network should be monitored in the same way that textbooks should be kept under constant surveillance. Unquote. Constant surveillance. So now, uh, despite the uh, media being uh, attacked as being liberal, it's actually owned by, uh, in many cases, right-wing ideologues. And um, even though we're supposed to have free enterprise, we actually have monopolization. Hence, we see the recent acquisition of the Tribune system of local, your local NBC affiliate, your local CBS affiliate, taken over by Sinclair, a right-wing family or private company. So supposedly we, we have a liberal bias in the media. Uh <clears throat> I don't think that's true anymore. 
We can thank Bill Clinton for that one, signing the Telecommunications Act, uh, neoliberal that he is, in 1996, which uh, was supposed to open up competition but just created consolidation. So now we have six corporations, neoliberalism is corporatism, six corporations basically that control 90% of what you read, hear, and see at the movies, on television, the so-called news, where you'll learn about um, the latest murder. If it bleeds, it leads. But we have to protect the, the American free enterprise system, even though neoliberalism pushes monopolization and greed and profit before people. We have to watch out for these these ultra liberals like the late Jack Newfield who argued that the root need in our country is to redistribute wealth. No, we can't have that. Redistribute wealth. Well, I mean in the direction that they're talking about, we we do have to redistribute wealth to us. As uh Adam Smith called it uh the vile maxim of the masters of mankind is all for us and nothing for other people. That's neoliberalism. And there will be a class of professionals, uh, technocrats and managers who will be able to uh, partake of the largesse. So uh, let's go to Davos, Switzerland. And... Uh, Hobnob with uh, Bono and the technocrats and figure out a way to make this work, this neoliberal nirvana. How are we going to make it work? 1971, Lewis Powell knew that there was a neglected opportunity in the courts. The judiciary may be the most important instrument for social, economic, and political change. Hence, packing the court with right-wingers, pro-business, and we get, what do we get? Citizens United decision, which basically took all constraints off of money and politics. So, actually, you can buy a politician now. Because money is speech. And neoliberalism is a new religion, and we worship money. And collectivism is a disease, and just forget about the community. Just think about yourself. You're in a silo. You're alone in a silo with your computer screen, with your phone, your smartphone, and it's just you and your smartphone. And forget about the community. Just think about yourself. That's individualism. Run rampant. You're so individual out there, my friends, that uh, you're lonely as hell. Neoliberalism has created a nation of lonely people who are pushed to and fro with violent images, divide and conquer. Works like a charm every time. Divide and conquer. 
So the Mexicans and the Muslims, it's their fault. It's not the banksters. So you just sit back and watch your shows, watch NASCAR, watch Dancing with the Stars, American Idol. You, too, can become an American Idol. Just to relax. You could you could become um, anything you want. You can you can um, open a bowling alley. The market, you know, cream rises to the top. Don't worry, you'll be the cream. You'll rise to the top. That's neoliberalism. 1971, Lewis Powell, he warned American business. He said, it's time for you, American business, which has demonstrated the greatest capacity in all history to produce and to influence consumer decisions, to apply its greatest talents vigorously to the preservation of the system itself. The system that today, during another time of upheaval, we're witnessing the disintegration of through Brexit, through Trump, before that, the Greek Greece crisis. We have to have austerity. We have to, the banks can't take a haircut. That's neoliberalism. Neoliberalism says there's no alternative. Neoliberalism obliterates imagination. Neoliberalism is what has brought us to this turn in the road. Neoliberalism says the self is 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 preeminent. Neoliberalism obliterates community. Neoliberalism places the dollar as God. That's what neoliberalism is. You know, you don't have to be against business to be a decent human being. We are all involved in business, one way or the other. But if we worship the dollar only, if we become slaves to profit, then what do we wrought? What have we wrought in the world where the market rules, where the production and use of Tomahawk cruise missiles is more important than the lives those weapons take? We're at a cross in the road, so... Similar to 1971, I would say, but kind of in a reverse way, a mirror image. So what is our manifesto going to be? In 1971, Lewis Powell's manifesto laid out a program to control the college campus, the pulpit, the media, the intellectual and literary journals, the arts and the sciences, and politicians. Where is our manifesto to do the same 
on behalf of the American people. The system, obviously, does not work. It works for a few people. So I think we have to ask ourselves a simple question. What kind of society do we want to have? So if we go with the Trumps of the world, the Paul Ryans of the world, the Mitch McConnells of the world, we're going to create Mad Max, Fury Road. That's where neoliberalism leads. That's where right-wing extremism leads. That's where authoritarianism leads. That's where climate change denial leads. It leads to Mad Max. I would rather have, I don't know about you, but I would rather have Star Trek The Next Generation. If we are intelligent enough, if we have the will collectively to put man on the moon to advance the causes of democracy and civil rights as far as we have, although they're being rolled back today, we're regressing. If we can do all of these things collectively, can we not also use our imaginations and come up with a different system? Because those who say there is no alternative, people like Margaret Thatcher, who was famous, they called it Tina, T-I-N-A. There is no alternative. There is no alternative to neoliberalism. There's no alternative to selfishness, to greed. That's a religion. That's an ideology. So we need to start using our imaginations. And let's start to imagine a system where people come before prophets. We'll see you the next time. Pundit's Pub. <laughs>